Hi, and welcome to Walk Talk, a podcast courtesy of the Wound, Ostomy, and Continence Nurses Society. Walk Talk is your opportunity to learn more about advocacy, education, and research that support the practice and delivery of expert healthcare to individuals with wound, ostomy, and continence care needs. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast to subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Jody Scardillo. Welcome to Walk Talk. On this week's episode, we're talking about a subject that's near and dear to my heart personally, and that is getting more help. Our guests this week are Mary Willis and Diane Bryant. Mary and Diane recently presented a poster on their work at WOC Next in Nashville and are here with me to talk about that. Mary Willis is a clinical nurse specialist in ostomy and wound care at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. She graduated from the University of Massachusetts with both bachelor's and master's degrees in nursing. She is currently the president of the New England Region. Mary has been the recipient of the 2017 New England Region WOC Nurses Society Nurse of the Year Award. Also with me is Diane Bryant. Diane is also a clinical nurse specialist in ostomy and wound care at Brigham and Women's. She is currently on the board of directors for our society and has held many, many leadership roles within uh, the WOCN. Thanks for joining me, ladies. I'm so happy you're here with me. Hi, Jody. Thanks for inviting us. We're happy to be here. Good. I'm excited to have you both. And the impetus behind this particular podcast was a really nice poster that you ladies did for the WOC Next conference in Nashville that we just had. And it really caught my eye. And there was also a lot of buzz with members that were walking around the poster hall around your poster and your topic. So I'm excited to have you both with me today. And so maybe Mary, we'll start with you. Tell me a little bit about your walk role and how you came to be a walk nurse and your positions and just a little bit about yourself for us. Okay, great. So my name is Mary Willis, and I'm a clinical nurse specialist in ostomy and wound care at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. I've worked at the hospital for about 24 years now. And for about the first half of my career, I was a med surge nurse and an ICU nurse and eventually became a clinical nurse educator for urology and plastic surgery department after I had my master's degree. And I was always really enjoyed the care of the ostomy patient. And I always wanted to be a clinical nurse specialist. And I had two excellent role models, which were Diane Bryant and Eileen Fleischer. And so when this role opened up, I went to school and got my certified wound ostomy continence nurse. And then I began to work with them about 13 years ago. And it's really been a great opportunity and really my favorite position that I've held in my nursing career. Wow, that's great. So you and Diane have worked together for about 13 years then? Yes. Well, we've known each other since we both worked at the hospital, but I've worked with her for 13 years. Wow, that's great. So Diane, tell us a little bit about your background and your position and a little bit about yourself. So like Mary, I've worked at the Brigham for greater than 25 years. I don't want to give an exact number. (laughs) However, my pathway was general surgical. And I enjoy teaching and connecting with that patient undergoing surgery, treating wounds, working with patient with continence issues. So that led me to attend Emory WOCN's program. And I really enjoyed that and became certified and then realized that I needed to further my education 
by getting my master's as a clinical nurse specialist. And in that role, it just has expanded for me personally in the growth. I've held a variety of roles in the organization and currently serve as a director at the national level, director at large, which I thoroughly enjoy. Great. And I am actually the current president of the New England region of the Woundostomy Continence Nurses Society. Okay. I thought so. I thought you were. Wow. That's great. So you ladies are busy. So tell us a little bit about what your organization is like. So I think Boston, I think big, huge hospital with a lot of cutting edge things going on. So tell us a little bit about what Brigham and Women's is like as an organization. That Explains it pretty well, Jody. So it's a large academic medical center in Boston. We have about 750 beds. We have a variety of medical surgical beds, hemonc, burn trauma. We have advanced cardiac surgery and advanced cardiac medical departments. We have neurosurgery and neuromedicine. We have over 100 ICU beds at our hospital, and there's also transplant surgeries, bone marrow transplant, lungs, heart, and kidneys. We're also attached to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And so at the time that we started this proposal and what led us to our poster, we had a large number of consults per year, approximately 2,100 consults in ostomy and wound care. Wow. Wow. And do you ladies cover outpatient and inpatient, or how does that all go? Well, currently, at the time of the proposal, we had just transitioned from doing both outpatient and inpatient. And now we do solely inpatient work. Okay. I wanted to add to Mary's description of our places. We're also a teaching hospital for not only medical students and residency programs, but for pharmacists and nursing school. So there's a lot of formal and informal education going on, which I think is important when looking at our poster. And we also received the magnet recognition last year. Oh, wow. Wow, that's exciting. And so as we started to say before, you did this poster on how you developed a proposal to obtain another WOC position. So I'm sure you had a lot of good reasons for doing that. So tell us a little bit about why you did this and a little bit about that. Well, part of it had to do with the changes that were made to bring us from the outpatient to solely on the inpatient side. And there was a change in our staffing. Our longtime colleague took a voluntary retirement offer, and we had a change in nursing director leadership who we were reporting to. And when she came on board, she did ask us to develop a needs assessment of our practice. And so we developed a document over several months. And the document included like the current situation, an introduction, described our CNS workflow our current work, proposed future work, and a summary. And we had multiple appendices that explained externally reported pressure injury rates, the volume of our ostomy surgeries, how many per diem hours we had, the current WCRN consult volume. We had come up with the idea of calling or emailing other like facilities with WOC nurses that we knew and asking them a series of questions to help us figure out how many WOC nurses did we need based on a facility of our size. And so that's how this got started. So we developed a survey. Initially, we emailed the survey to some colleagues that we knew, and we 
presented some initial data to management and they wanted more information as far as type of practices in order to make a good comparison. So when we went to the 50th anniversary of WC in Philadelphia in 2018, we brought the surveys with us. And during the poster sessions, we networked with other WC nurses at like facilities and asked them if they would be willing to talk to us about their practice and how many WC nurses they had, what size was their hospital, and what did their practice look like. Wow. So besides those questions, like when you ask them, what does your practice look like? What kind of questions were on that? Because you know, somebody after listening to this is going to try to replicate this. So yes, <laughs> which uh, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what kind of other things were you asking? Because I bet that's really important to how this all worked out in the end. We asked them the number of WOC nurses. We asked them the number of beds, how many ostomy patients they saw. How many visits did they make for the new ostomy patient? Did they see all pressure injuries? Did they see all hospital-acquired pressure injuries and how often? Did they stage all the pressure injuries or did the RN staff stage them? We asked them questions about, did they have seven-day-a-week coverage for WOC nurses? How did they get their consults? What percent of time they spent inpatient versus outpatient? Were the same nurses seeing both the inpatient and outpatient patients. And then we asked them about their EMR system and how that helped them get their consults. So from that information, we were able to figure out some numbers and then come up with the numbers that we presented on our poster. Okay. We talked to people that we thought were like institutions. We chose primarily academic teaching hospitals greater than 500 beds, because that is really where our director was looking for information. There's no published information about that that we were able to find. And it seems like those questions, as a clinician myself, those questions really capture the detail you need about the day-to-day workflow of an acute care WOC nurse. Yes, correct. You also said in the poster that you did a literature review And so tell us a little bit about what you found, if anything, about that. I'll speak to a little bit about that is that was really difficult for us to really find. We had heard a talk at one of the presentations for every 120 beds, there's one WOC nurse. But we couldn't find any published literature. So we chose to go to Scopes and Standard. That is very near and dear to your heart, Jody. Yes, it is. <laughs> and we really looked at that publication to help us to describe to our administrators, not only to our exact directors, but quality and, and risk of what the importance of the role is and what they could provide in the acute care setting as far as care coordination and collaboration, education, the importance of nursing certification, how we practice and are educated and certified and the value that we bring to that organization. And so how long did this take from start to finish by the time you had this idea that you needed help and this was the way to obtain another person? How long did that all take? 
Well, our colleague left in February of 2018, and then our director coverage changed at the same time. In about late March, early April, they came to us with the idea that we needed to develop this document. So that was April of 2018. And we presented the document to them in a meeting on August 1st of 2018. We had discussions with them previously to that of our practice is very busy. We could do a lot more. We could provide a lot more services if we had a broader bench of people. Yeah. And it actually started probably six months earlier than that because they were looking at pressure injuries and the cost to the hospital when pressure injuries developed. And so we were already thinking about how could we impact those numbers and what we could bring to the role and what ideas we had to help reduce those numbers to make us more valuable to the facility. So I think I know from chatting with you both that you were successful in obtaining this position. So you have the position and were you able to fill that? Yes. The position was filled finally in May of this year, May of 2019. They actually changed the title and the description of the position multiple times before they actually began to interview candidates for the position. So it was a very long process, but the final title of the person who now works with us is Program Director of Woundostomy Continence Nursing. So are there different or additional responsibilities besides all those things that you two do that you listed? Many, many things that you listed? (laughs) Yes, yes. So she has a management function. So currently she is in charge of collecting prevalence data and sort of also doing an assessment of our practice and thinking about what additional resources we need and how we can expand our practice in the hospital. And she does do clinical work as well, so she does see patients. Great. That helps you. One of the things we, when we were doing our survey and talking to many of our colleagues, we were a department of three that became a department of two. Many organizations who have three and four people or five people, they have what I would term as a lead person, someone who represents the team at the more leadership level instead of all five people going or having a consistent voice in that area who has designated administration time to do that. And it was after many discussions that we really saw the value to that and were hopeful that our collective voices can be heard at that level. So that's a really good thing for any initiatives that you're trying to push forward, I would guess. Yes, I really would encourage people to, if they're starting out small like we were, to really look at the impact that voice will have and the need for it to be more of a leadership position. Previously, we would be intermittently invited to different leadership forums to talk about a project, but we never had a consistent place at the table to have conversations about the practice and how we can expand it and help the hospital make it better. That sounds like a great way to affect change more quickly. Yes. And so you said earlier that when you did this document for your director, you had to look at your current work and your future work. So I'm wondering what you two think about what your future work looks like as you move forward in your careers there. Good question. (laughs) We do. Like many of our many nurses, many walk nurses, we are just full of them, how we can really expand our practice. 
currently we're staying in the moment. <laughs> we try to just do the job, the position, and provide the care that we may have not provided to the best of our abilities. So we're playing a lot of catch up right now in this 18 months that we were only the two of us. But we have visions of participating on the CARDI and CLAPSI committees, and we have just started that area. We are educated as clinical nurse specialists and masters prepared. Is there a role for the walk nurse with ABSN education as they speak to in the levels of practice and the scopes and standards document? We're just entering that discussion of how many different levels do you have within your organization? Do you have OCAs and WTAs and walk nurses and then master's prepared advanced practice nurses? We want to be able to provide that very comprehensive care for our patients that right now we're not doing, we can do better. It's a challenge for us. And one of the things that we've always wanted to work on and hopefully we'll be able to do so in the future is looking at research and writing articles, case studies, and doing like speaking and a lot of active participation for magnet certification and really building a really strong program for WOC nursing in our hospital. Sounds like the sky's the limit and you have lots of opportunities to do that. And we hope to. I mean, one of our goals is working and be able to have some real think time and show the impact that we have and what we can do. And did you do like a, quote, business plan, or you really clearly talked about the proposal that you did, but did you have to use figures about money saved or income that might be generated or anything specific like that as part of this proposal? No, we didn't have like that type of specific information. I mean, we did have some ideas that we could perhaps precept WOC students, some of the schools, but our proposal was more about the WOC resources and how many we thought we needed to do the work and do the work right. So it was more like a proposal of here's what we do now, here's how we would like to do more, this is what we think we need to get there. Okay. So, and then you obviously were successful with this. So was there anything when you did this or when you summarized all of this work that you did that you think really sold the people that were making that decision? Like any particular language that you used or priorities that you maybe talked about that were like what sealed the deal so that you got this position? I believe that we really tried to center on patient care, Jody. That was our core commitment was to the patient that is admitted either on the outpatient or inpatient setting. And we tried to present the challenges that we had in providing the best care. So when we spoke about the patient experience, I think that hit home to some of the administrators, or I, I hope that it hit home in the education that is needed by the staff. Do you have anything to add, Mary, at all? Well, I think doing the proposal wasn't so much what we thought sealed the deal for them, but really brought home to us how rich our practice is. 
and really what we bring and how much work we do and, and the quality of the work. But we, as Diane has mentioned, you know, we really think we can do more and we can make it even better. So it was reaffirming to us in our practice what a rich practice we have. Sometimes you have to take stock of what you've done and really look at it. And we did really, we were able to examine it and really take out all the stuff that all the projects you do and how you impact the patient and the staff. And did this make you think more positive? Some days I find I run around all day and at the end of the day you collapse and you think, wow. And did this kind of make you really think about what you do and put it in perspective in terms of taking care of the patients and all of that? Yes, I would say every walk nurse now, no matter what their practice setting, has those days where they say, well, I can't do this one more day. But then they stop and look at something happens, some, there's a trigger, a nurse said, thanks you very much, or a patient says, you made a difference, or materials management says, thank you for straightening that out for us and saving us X amount of dollars. No matter what it is, there's some positive influence that comes across that makes you want to go to work the next day. Yes, absolutely. And I think a lot of the times, which when you feel like, oh my goodness, I cannot take one more step. You get an email from a patient thanking you for something you didn't even know you did for them and just puts a smile on your face. Or a nurse stops you and says, I want to do what you do. And how can I do that, Mary? That's the nicest thing you can hear almost, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, it's definitely, definitely. So I would love to know what was the most surprising thing that you each learned throughout this process? Anything that shocked you like you never considered or anything like that? Diana, actually, we're talking about this in the car today. I don't think we were really surprised by anything, but it really made us reflect on our practice and think about how we do things and why we do things and are we doing it the right way? And is there another way to do it? And sort of rethinking everything from the simple, how do we do our assignment in the morning to how we write a note to why did you do that? Why did you use that piece of paste versus the e-conceal? So for me, I thought that we did really spend like 18 months, Diane and I, talking. The other thing that made me realize, and I would encourage other WOC nurses, is to become more proactive than reactive. We became in a reactive state because our friend and colleague was leaving our practice. So it was all of a sudden we had to think about how we are going to fill that position and what it's going to look like. Instead of saying, having a real, they call them succession plans. Who's going to maintain the practice? Who's going to continue that building that practice? So I would encourage everyone who's listening to this podcast to really stop and think about that, of how they want to see the work in the future. That's a good idea, Diane. We think about that because Diane and I are the same age. <laughs> And we think, oh, when we leave, yeah. who's going to do this? <laughs> and we hope that we have some impact. <laughs> but really, it's about being proactive in the practice of the needs with short length of stays, with all the hack initiatives, the constraints, the movement from acute care to long-term care. 
how things are being done on the outpatient basis. And so how are we going to fill that need in our practice? And so you said that you were hoping now to be able to do more professional things like lecturing and writing and all of that. And so you did a poster about this project that you did. So what made you decide that you wanted to do that? Well, it actually came about that the New England region is always looking for challenge and practice for our conference. And so thinking about all the work that Diane and I did leading up to last October, we just volunteered to do what's called the challenge in practice. And so we brought this project to our conference and presented it to our colleagues in the New England region. And we shared the numbers with them and they were all very excited and wanted to share it with their administrators and leadership in their facilities. And so we we said, well, we're going to do a poster. And so that's what we did. We kind of summarized the information into the poster and then submitted it to the national WOC for this year's conference that we did in June in Nashville. And so talk a little bit, if you will, in case people haven't seen the poster, just what you included on the poster and a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Okay. So the poster is called Collecting Data to Advocate for Additional WOC Resources. You can do it. So we had a background section that talked about why we started this work and the purpose of our work. And then we described the methods. One part we haven't talked about yet is that between when our colleague left and in the development of this needs assessment document and then going all the way to last December, we actually created a small database. And every day we would enter information into the database and included how many consults we had, were they wound ostomy, fistula, tube, moisture-associated skin damage, how many did we complete, and how many we were not able to complete because we had limited staffing. And so we just kept collecting that data, and we included that in the poster. And that really helped also us think about how much help did we really need. And then we also included a list of the facilities that we surveyed. We did not name the facilities because we told them it would be confidential information, that they were sharing this information with us. But some facilities, WC nurses didn't want us to identify them per se. So we did not do that. We covered that information. And then we summarized it. And then we had a conclusion. And our conclusion basically states that Data summary of surveyed facilities revealed the average number of CWOC and FTEs was 5.9, and the average number of beds was 710. The average number of beds per FTE at like facilities was 139 versus 304 at our facility. And in collecting that data and summarizing the data, we removed two outliers. One was a facility that had a very large number of beds with a very, very large number of WC nurses. And the other one was a smaller hospital that had only, I think, 150 or 200 beds and they had two nurses. So we wanted to really kind of keep it in a narrow range of, as Diane said earlier, facilities that had over 500 beds. And so that confirmed our belief that we needed additional WOC nurse resources in our practice. And then the implication was that the position had been approved. Collecting this data and doing our needs assessment really helped us to show the need for it. And do you still collect that data, Mary? Because that sounds like good like day-to-day 
productivity kind of data to be uh, for many of us to be collecting. So talk about that if you don't mind. Exactly. So the database was a person in the quality department that's part of our happy task force helped us design the database. And then we did keep that information all the way through December of last year, but we kept making requests of our EMR and they were able to develop some reports. And so now that information is pulled from a report on a monthly basis in our EMR. So that is helpful. It shows how many consults we get and type of consults and how many we're able to complete. And then how do you track the patients you don't get to? This is always my personal challenge. Is there a way in your EMR to track wait time for consult or uh, do you manually keep track of that one or do you even need to anymore? I guess is the other question. No, I don't think we need to. I mean, that was part of showing the need for more help that we weren't able to get to everybody and we were doing a lot of looking at the patients every morning, spending some time saying who really needs to be seen, what's the priority. And then if we weren't going to be able to see someone that at least before the end of the day, we would have a conversation with their nurse and at least make some sort of initial plan so that hopefully they would be the first to be seen the next day. We didn't keep data or like we left this person on the board for three days or something like that. Okay. So hopefully that's less of an issue now that you have more help anyway, right? Correct. Yeah, it's much improved. It's kind of unusual that we actually leave people on the board unless someone's out ill suddenly or something like that. With this project, now that you look back on it and you've been really successful, is there anything that you would do differently or if somebody asked you about it, you might say to them, oh, I wish I had done this. Were there any of those moments after you finished this? When we were talking about this in the car and and I said to Mary, sometimes I wish that we were a little stronger in advocating for the position. For us, 18 months was a long time. I would have liked to have seen it move a little quicker, but sometimes in large organizations and identifying the needs, and as Mary mentioned, that the role changed several times of what leadership thought they would like in this. And I think we gave input, but I think we should have started the project maybe a little earlier. As I've mentioned, maybe while the three of us were still together that we had developed this type of proposal, having a lead person, someone having more of a vision while the three of us were together. Rather than just saying we need another person, which we've done since then, but really think about the practice and what the practice should look like and bringing that forth a lot sooner rather than just saying we need another body. So are you trying to get another person now? Because I'm quickly doing this math in my head, and I'm still thinking you're over that 130 patients per FTE. Yeah, we are. Because the person who is in the role, who's now our boss, basically, has a lot of non-clinical responsibilities and management functions. So absolutely, we do need more help. Hopefully that's coming. (laughs) It's a work in progress. That's the next poster, right? (laughs) That's the next poster. (laughs) Right. And I think that being able to, again, articulate the vision, the need, we do a lot of ostomy surgery and they need to be educated and cared for and we have enhanced recovery. We have many of the programs that are like institutions have. And we want to keep on that cutting edge. So we need to really 
articulate that to her and to our nursing leadership. So I'm curious, that's a big organization with a lot of different types of patients, and it sounds like it's geographically big, so you're running a lot. How do you divide your workload for the day? Generally, do you do it by unit or do you do it by type of patient? Or how does that all happen there and how does that work for you? Well, we get our consults list in the morning and then we also keep a calendar of people who will be post-op. And we also get emails and phone calls. And then we, we take turns. I do the consults one week, Diane does it the next week. The person doing the consult list just goes in and reviews quickly what the need is. And then we list all of them. We have a whiteboard in our office, and then we decide who's going to see who. And we try to first based on previous knowledge of a patient. If this is someone you've seen in the past, then you're assigned to that patient. And we try to share equal number of ostomies, or if there's multiple complex fistulas in the hospital, you know, we each take one or two to kind of break that work up. And then we look at the pressure injuries, and is it a president on a mission that was not as urgent as someone who is a hospital acquired. Not that it's more urgent or not more urgent, but reality is we need to see that person who has a hospital acquired. So we sort of break it that way. Diane, how would you add to that? I always say to people, because that's a question that people ask, how do you divide it? I would have to say that I learned a huge lesson in dividing other practices. You have to be completely honest with your colleagues your perceived workload of what the patient needs. And you have to be really honest about things. Are you, as an individual or as a practitioner, are you seeing a lot of fistulas? Do you feel that your workload is heavier this day versus another day it's lighter and you can take a heavier assignment? So it's really being very trusting the people and open and honest with them. And then it becomes on the needs of the patient and geographically located. We try to have as much as possible consistency with care. We totally believe that the, we'll even discuss the care of the patient if it's complex, that we're both on the same page about it. So we send the correct message to the patient, the family, the nurses, and the, all the other providers involved. Yeah. Consistency is huge. Yeah, we feel very strongly and that no matter which of us, a staff nurse or a physician or a patient speaking with, that we're going to give them the same responses and that we're going to reapproach things in the same way so that you don't have anyone trying to do splitting or, you know, well, I like the way this one says it because we're going to say the same thing. Or she said she wasn't going to do it and now they're asking the other person. Mm -hmm. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't happen because <laughs> I'm like, no, I know Diane didn't say that to you. <laughs> <laughs> I get the vibe that you two are very supportive of each other. Is that true? I just get this feeling yes. from chatting with you that you really, <laughs> really enjoy working with each other and really support each other. We do. We try really hard at that. Right. The another caveat is you have to understand everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. I have to have Mary fix my EMR at least <laughs> once a month. And I'm very honest about it. I said, would you just come over here and look at this? <laughs> but I have strengths in other areas. Yes. So Diane is an excellent presenter. So 
So I'm a good presenter, but I don't have the humor or I don't know, there's something about the way Diane gets up in front of a group of nurses and does a, a lecture that is just enjoyable and fun. She really makes it fun. And so so we kind of play off of each other when we do things like that. Uh-huh. So promote each other's strengths, it sounds like. Correct. Yes. Right. Right. And you have to realize that and you grow into that role. And my belief system is that we work really hard, but we need to have a little fun and enjoyment. Uh-huh. So how do you do that? Have fun. Well, I'm going on vacation tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I went on but vacation I, last week. I thought this Mary just went. Right. <laughs> and now Diane's going on vacation. <laughs> well, I'm glad I caught you both this week. <laughs> but I think you have to look at what types of patients you enjoy or what What's your interest at work, too, to make it fun? Do you like to educate? Do you enjoy you haven't taken care of uh, urinary diversion patients for a while? So you really want to get back on that particular floor and see them, find out where they're at and all of that. It's finding and creating an environment of interest and knowledge and learning. And I think we share a lot. Like, we share the challenges. Sometimes you do something and you think, that wasn't the right thing to do. And I'll come back to the office and I'll be like, Diane, <laughs> this is what I did. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that, right? What should we do? How should we fix it? <laughs> so, and she'll do the same thing. She'll bring something, a picture back to the office and she said, oh, I think it's this. And I'm like, I don't think so, Diane. Let's talk about <laughs> that. Actually, she says it's stronger than that, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> But we're very honest with each other. And if someone's having a bad day, we let them have the bad day and the other person can pick up a little bit of slack. We take turns. Yeah. I always feel for walk nurses who are by themselves in organizations or are particularly those that are new in the role and by themselves, because I have colleagues that I work with as well. And, and uh, I think that you help build each other up and it really makes everything you do even better when you have that kind of relationship. I know. I think that must be so lonely. I mean, really, the, a lot of the enjoyment of coming to work is being with your colleagues. Yes, yes, absolutely. And trying to solve those problems. Yes, yeah. It's nice to have another set of eyes and ears for sure. So now, since you presented this work at WOC Next in June, I would love to know what else you're going to do to share this information. Well, we're doing the podcast. With yeah, you. I know. I'm so happy. <laughs> And then once the podcast is released, I'm actually going to send it out in a blast to my New England region colleagues so that they can go on and listen to it. And then Diane and I talked about perhaps publishing this as an article. I think you said very early on when we were first talking, there was really not very much literature. So that would be really great if there were a way for other nurses to benefit from all the work you did. Yeah, because sometimes people just really want a number. Yes, how many do I need? Yes. yes, yes. And how to do it. I I think that when we look back at it and examine our post and the work that our proposal, that we can really analyze it and say, maybe we should have done this. I think that query that you did was really awesome. And if somebody is trying to do the same thing and can replicate that data or use the information that you shared right there, that gives you some hard fact to start with, which sometimes that's the hardest thing to come up with. Yeah. And Jordy, one thing I want to say, and Diane and I didn't talk about this, but when we did our needs assessment document, 
we did have several of our WOC colleagues who are in different roles in the hospital actually help us. And I just want to acknowledge them. So that was um, Sarah Thompson, who's a CWOCN and a professional development manager, and our per diem colleague, clinical nurse specialist, Beth Melanson. And another per diem is Jackie McNeil, who has worked with us in the past. So they all contributed to this. All right. So I've kept you ladies on the phone a little bit here tonight after you worked all day. So what else should I have asked you or what else would you like to share about this project that might be helpful to somebody that is in that position that you were in a couple of years ago and really needing help? What else should we share with people? Take the time to think and reflect and think about what you want, what your vision is. It will serve you well. Having a vision, I, Diane is excellent at having a vision. And I'm excellent in saying that's a great idea, Diane. <laughs> <laughs> and implementing. But how are we going to do right. it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I mean, we were very busy, but our colleagues made us sit down and think about it. Think about what the ideal workplace environment would be for the WOC nurse. What would we like to see happen here at Brigham and Women's, which is a center of excellence? But that may be different than maybe a smaller organization or a more rural community hospital, depending on the practice setting and the type of patients that are seen in that institution, I would think. Right. Yes. Right. This was a lot of work, but we did it over a large time. And the poster was very easy to write because all the work was done. It was ready to be put on paper. Good. And that was nice. You were able to share it both regionally in your New England region and nationally. That was really good. People were very eager to have the information. Yeah, that's what I noticed as well. And I think we're becoming better at sharing our, our work like that. And not that people don't want to share. It's like the venue of how do we share it? Yes, yes, yes. And then you can uh, make a journal article and then you get some PGP points. So it's, and you got more help. So it sounds like it was a win all the way around after that. <laughs> Jody, do we get PGP points for the podcast? No, you know, maybe I should investigate that because then, yeah. then uh, I won't have to talk people into doing it sometimes. This podcast thing is a whole new way of communicating. So sometimes I have to talk people about it and what it really means. And I didn't know before I started doing them. So, but yeah, so I'm glad that you were able to come on with me. And I thank you both for your time and uh, your expertise and sharing all this wonderful information with our colleagues. And I hope you have a both have a great night. Thanks, Jody. You too, Jody. Take care. Hey, you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk Talk. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast for additional details about this topic and the speakers. You can also get more information about subscribing to this podcast so you never miss an episode and to get the latest news and information from the WOCN Society. Again, that's wocn.org slash podcast. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Walk Talk. <laughs>